0: Alrighty, so tonight again we're going to be talking about foolishness. When y'all think about foolishness, what do y'all consider? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Our government? I mean, there's lots of things you can think of with foolishness, right? What other things? Before Christ. Before Christ. Before Christ. Yeah. So not after, though. Life before Christ. Okay. Yeah. You're saying you used to be like that? I can't even believe that, Eric. Wow, that was a long time ago, too. That was before me. Say that again. Childhood. Childhood. Mm Mhm. I think today, if we're not careful, we can say adulthood. Right. Childhood is increasing. Mm Mhm. Mhm. Foolishness. Uh, Definition from the book says this. I think it's a pretty good one. The foolishness inside your children is more dangerous to them than the temptation outside of them. Only God's grace has the power to rescue fools. (laughs) I find that to be interesting because we spend so much time more worried about the external factors than the internal factor. And oftentimes we address these external factors never considering the heart. Oftentimes we look at words and behaviors more than we look at the heart. Parenting really is all about the heart of a child because guess what controls the words and behaviors that come out of them? Their heart. Oftentimes we always deal with the symptoms Instead of dealing with the heart. Um, you're always dealing with that thing that controls their words and behavior of the heart. Oftentimes, you know what? We spend way too much of our time announcing and enforcing the law. This is how it needs to go. And we're going to make sure that we do that. Never getting back to helping them understand what is the law there for? What's the intent behind it? Something we need. Hello, sir. How are you tonight? Doing great. Children need the law just as adults do when they live in society. How many of y'all like the law in society? Does it depend on what it is? You ever been somewhere and the speed limit's 25 and you don't understand why? Do you like that law? I don't like it sometimes. But children need to understand that just like we do. But we need to recognize one thing. What can the law not do? It can't change a heart. If the law could change a heart, why would Christ have to come? Right? Did the, did Moses have the law? Did the children of Israel have the law? Then why did Christ have to come? In? Why didn't they live it perfectly? The law can't change a heart, right? The law has a very powerful ability to reveal the sin that lives inside your children and inside of us. And the law is God's perfect guide for your children's living. But the law, again, cannot change the heart. Can uh, the law control behavior for a season? I went to boot camp. Guess what? By the time we got done, everybody's behavior was about where it needed to be until we left and went outside the walls of that place, right? It can control behavior for a season, but it cannot change the heart. The law uh, will not make them want to do what's right. The law won't make them humble worshipers of God. The law will not free us from our arrogance and our self-worship. The law will not make us righteous. We must carry within us, in our parenting, a practical theology of the heart. This will guide us so that as we deal with the words and the behaviors, that output, we're going to understand the underlying factor of the heart, the input, and we're going to address the heart versus just the words and behaviors. Hey, go to your room because you did this. Okay, what does that do long term though? Why did they do that? What's going on? There's a story there if we're willing to pursue it. Let's open up our Bibles. Let's go to Proverbs 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And what it says here in Proverbs 4, 23, and it's interesting, the title of mine in chapter 4 says, Security and Wisdom. The children need security. Absolutely. How does that? It says in wisdom, being wise and discerning about what's going on in their heart and in their life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Mm. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. A biblical definition of the heart. The heart is the core of your personhood, your child's personhood. Whatever rules their hearts will control their words and actions. So if we're not careful, we'll always look at their words and actions, but never get to the heart. This is where we sit down and we connect the behavior to the heart. Connect the content and character of the heart to the actions that's just been displayed. We have to make sure that we sit down and look through that, not just deal with that outcome. Far too often, that's as far as we ever get. And then we wonder why we keep repeating that same thing over and over and over again. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we wonder, why don't they do that? When we look in the mirror, why aren't we doing some of the things that we should be doing? Oftentimes, we can look down and look around at others, and we don't really address ourselves. If I'm not correct, and I'm not doing what's right, and I'm understanding where my heart is, and in the connection, how can I effectively tell anybody else about it? Don't believe I can too well. Just like up us, our words and behaviors are shaped more by what's inside than what's outside. Here in the Scripture again, Keep your heart, it says, with all diligence. Anytime I see an all in my Bible, you know what I do? I circle it. Why? It's When we speak in imperative type words, all, never, there's pretty strong reasons for that. So it says to keep it with all diligence. What does it mean to be diligent? I think we've already said this in a couple of chapters before it talked about it. But what does it mean to be diligent? Make every effort. Make every effort. Make consistent with the mm-hmm. Making every effort, being very consistent with the task or with whatever you got going on. What areas in our life are we diligent in? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner Breakfast food. Yeah. We make sure that we feed this thing, right? And don't forget snacks and snacks and snacks, right? You know, depends. There was donuts down there today and I had to have one. I really didn't need one, but you I ate only one. one. Just one. I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to square it up. <laughs> okay, well, that was for Anita because she wasn't here, so there you go, you got that one mm Hmm. So, what other things are we diligent about? Work, Work right? Anything else? Things we see value what we consider important. Things we see value important. Is that always the same from day to day? Sometimes, right? I heard somebody else over here. He, he took my answer. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. Yeah, yeah, huh? Sometimes people are diligently taking our answers away too, right? Well, If we're not careful, we can be diligent about a lot of ancillary things but not diligent about what's important. Oftentimes our life is controlled by reactions and we're not proactively being diligent about the things that are the most important. Men, oftentimes we're way more focused on what our work is and what's going on all around us than we are our wife and our children. That's the thing we should be the most diligent about because that's what God's put directly in front of us and gave us dominion and responsibility over. Oftentimes we seek that elsewhere when it's right in front of us. Ladies, guess what? Do you need to be diligent? Yes, God's given you a home. He's given you children. He's given you a husband. You need to be diligent about your role there. Hold on, let's stop. Is it just about us in our home? We need to be diligent about understanding. What does this mean? We need to be diligent about not only teaching others, but allowing it to teach us. Oftentimes we want to say, oh yeah, no, this is what we need need to be diligently understanding. Because are you ever going to get to the end of it? No, it's got to the end of me a whole lot. We need to make sure we're diligent about that. And in the end it says, for out of it, out of the heart, spring the issues of life. He's not talking about your hands and your actions yet. He's saying again, we're tying it together. The heart is where all this comes to. So when you see a world that's doing what it's doing now, is it because of all this outside things, uh, gender identity, all the things that we see out in the world today, it comes back to what? The heart. There's confusion where there should be Clarity. And we, we want to judge this outside experience to of going back and addressing our Why is the behavior like it is? People obviously are confused about who they are. They don't know there's a God that fearfully and wonderfully made them. Who's supposed to be telling them that? Wait, thank you, Randy. I was about to... Yes, that's our responsibility, right? We're supposed to be telling them on a regular basis. And again, we've got to remind ourselves over and over again that all of our children's behavior problems come from where? The heart. The heart is the problem. Don't forget it, but don't forget that it's not just their heart, it's your heart. You need to be regularly addressing your heart. Any lasting change in your life will always flow through the pathway of your heart. If you really want to change in your life, it's going to have to come from the volition of the heart. We must always accompany discipline and correction with instruction. Far too often we want to discipline and correct, but then we don't tell them why. We've got to connect that why that action into what's going on there. Ensure that the instructions from where? Well, when I was a kid, this is how my daddy did it. That's not the best answer. Where's the answer to come from? We should connect it to the scriptures. We need to make sure that we understand all these times when your child's misbehaving and you're ready to pull your hair out, that's a divine appointment where the God of heaven is allowing us to speak truth and life into the heart of our children and not a moment where we just correct the outside, but we always seek to correct the inside. Some ways of doing that. Asking questions. Do y'all know the difference between an open-ended question and a closed-ended question? How was your day? Fine. No. What happened today? Tell me three good things that happened to you today. Right? What did you learn in this class? What happened here? How was this going on? Open-ended questions. Where you get more back than, yeah, mm, yeah, mm, uh mm, yeah, hungry, food, yeah. mm -hmm. No, we need to be able to ask good questions. Who was one of the master question askers in the scriptures? Jesus, go back and look what he talked to somebody. they come up and say something, and he automatically gave them an answer. No, he'd ask them. Woman at the well shows up, right? Tells her exactly who he is and why he's there. No, he asked her questions and drawed out from her where she was in life. And then he told her the truth, right? Need to tell stories give illustrations that enable our child to step out of themselves, to stop defending themselves. Oftentimes that's probably the biggest issue we have. We put people on the defensive and we never allow them really to get out of that. They're always sort of like, I just gotta keep my back against the wall. No. We need to look and examine their own heart. We need to get them to the point where they understand the actions. Some ways that we have issues with that. We use some tools that fail to produce lasting change. How many of us have ever threatened somebody? Anybody ever threatened anybody? I have too. Yeah, does it work good? Depends. I was gonna say it depends on what it is, right? It worked real good for the moment. And guess what I did sometimes afterwards? I felt pretty good about it. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Threats do not work. That's that's not gonna have con- it's conformity to a a very short season, but not long term. What about manipulation? Anybody know what it means to be to manipulate somebody else? Ever go to Walmart? If you'll just be quiet, honey, I'll get you this or whatever else. What is it? It's being manipulated. If you'll just control this for a really short season, I'll get you about whatever you need. Right? Not the best long-term thing. Well, you know what the best thing I remember doing? Somebody told me, listen, we left. Pushed a buggy out. You were going to help? Uh-uh. We're out. Let's go in the parking lot and I'm going to deal with you in the parking lot. Next time we go in there, guess what? They do remember that. I ain't giving in to you for nothing. Now sometimes we have to recognize if we shouldn't drag our kids to places they're not prepared to go depending on their age, right? We drag them sometimes into situations where maybe we should have said, hmm, let's do something a little bit different. We've got to re- remember that. And then the last one it talks about is guilt. You ever been guilted into something? None of you have? Wow, that's pretty awesome. Do you like it when somebody guilts you into doing something you don't want to do? Imagine how horrible it is, though, when you have an adult that's laying guilt on a child for their behavior. They're putting the emphasis on them and the responsibility on them, when actually whose responsibility is it? I believe it's the parents. Those three things do not work. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We need. Not only just behavior modification, we don't need that. We need a new heart. We need something different than that. If our hearts are not renewed, then our behavior will never change. The main promise here is to concentrate on for our time is the fact that God declares that He, not us, He will give us, provide for us something we cannot do on our own through our own righteousness and our own good deeds. He's going to provide us a new heart and a new spirit. The only way we can truly change is for God to make alive a dead spirit and a heart bound by sin. And if we've been freed from this, it should be the utmost responsibility and privilege of our lives to teach, to instruct, and to model a renewed heart to our children. Notice the analogy he used of stone versus flesh. If you took a stone and you squeezed it real hard, what do you get out of it? Your hands hurt sometimes, depending on what kind of rock it is, right? Mm -hmm. But flesh... You remember as a kid, you remember taking like a penny or taking something and pressing it on your arm for a while? And then what happens when you got done with it? The impression of whatever you had was on there, right? God's looking to do that with us. He's looking to have that where He can impress His Spirit, impress His Word on us to the point where it changes us through the Scripture, changes us because of our repentance and our belief. God takes a heart that's resistant to change and molds and shapes that heart to be like Jesus. Ezekiel here tells us of a Savior who's coming to rescue, to forgive, to transform, and to deliver grace to a people that do not in any way deserve it. But when we repent and believe, He delivers right on time, every time. When we begin to realize that God seeks to use us to help our children understand, know and realize their need for a Savior, we then see that their words and behavior, behaviors as opportunities for us to point them to a God who designed, who delivered, and who delights in them. And I actually wrote that now. I did, had to do the Ds, had to do a word study. It was tough. Proverbs 22, 15. Uh, 22, 15. I bet you all have never heard of this one. Folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Have you ever heard somebody use that? I remember when I was a kid, I heard that a lot. And it was always designed for what was the sort of point behind it. I often times to heard this before or somebody beat me. The rod of discipline, it was always to that point. Is that really what this verse is talking about? Sometimes. No, nope. but is it primarily what it's talking about? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from. It. Is it us to beat that out of and to beat the devil out of somebody? Have you ever heard that when I was a kid? I've heard that before, and they're talking to me. I know you have problems believing that, but it was pretty rough, right? So, folly's bound up. It can't come out on its own, and they need discipline in order to get it out whose primary responsibility is it to provide that discipline for them? It's ours, right? A child cannot be disciplined on their own. They need to have someone help them be disciplined, and then they can... Well, hello, Jerry. What song did you sing up there? Down at the Cross. Down at the Cross. That's a good one. Mm Mm-hmm. Foolishness, as we talked about in this verse here, foolishness denies there's a God and a desire to live as if God doesn't exist. That's what we talk about foolishness being about it. I am the primary person; the world centers around me, and I don't really need anybody else. We need to make sure they understand that's not the case. <clears throat> Remember that when we see this in our children, especially when we see it in other people, we also need to look in the mirror and ask God where we where we are being foolish as well. Some tips in the book I thought that were pretty interesting. In order to parent a fool, that was the title of it. Tips to parent a fool. I thought, wow, that really offends me that they would call my child a fool. No introduce them to God's greater glory, showing them how I submit to his rule. Don't say you need to submit to rule. They need to see you submitting to God's rule first. Look for wisdom moments to talk about how God's ways are better. What does it say in Deuteronomy 6? We're to instruct our children when we sit down, when we rise up. There's all these little moments that we have. They're going to ask a question. Do we, and go on. They're going to hear a siren. What happened? They're going to see a sunset and they're go, wow. All those little moments where we can do what? We can point towards the Savior. We need to tell the story of the person and work of Jesus to your children once at church. The pastor tells them, right? No, you need to tell them how often, as often as you can. Every time you should bring that back to there. <clears throat> and the last one is to share God's invitation for us to acknowledge our foolishness, and seek his forgiveness and receive his assistance. Don't yell at your children. Lead them to confession. We need to control ourselves first. The next thing we're going to talk about is character. When you think about character, what's the definition for y'all? <clears throat> that Kevin Robertson, he's a character. Is that what it's talking about there? What does it mean if you had somebody say, man, that guy has some character. What does that mean? He's distinguished. He's distinguished. Wow. That's, you're talking about me now, Randy. Thanks, buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you see somebody and you say, man, uh, let's say, uh, let's use Fred, right? Fred Blackburn. You see him and say, man, that guy's got some character to him, right? He's been around. You can see things in his life, right? There's characteristics that go with it, right? Character. Not all of the wrong your children do is a direct rebellion to authority. Much of the wrong is the result of a lack of character. Lack of character leads people to what? Not being able to control their impulses. Not being able to look at others and see that, hey, that's not an attack on me directly. Just because that person's frustrated, I don't need to respond. I don't need to follow them down the road at 120 miles an hour and try to run them out of the road because they were passing me, right? Lack of character. Our society today, folks, we have a a huge lack of character. And I'm not even talking about biblical character. I'm just talking about how we should treat each other in a civilized, well, it's not a civilized world, never wrong. Not every wrong that our children does is a direct rebellion. Oftentimes, it's just a lack of character. They don't understand the situation. You're in the house, you're stressed, you're doing all this stuff, and they're sitting back there. They don't connect and go, wow, maybe I should go help somebody. They don't see that. Who's supposed to help them see that? The TV, right, is supposed to speak to them and tell them, hey, you should be invested and help your family, right? No, it's up to you to do that, right? Oftentimes we see that lack of care that they have for others or for something, and we connect that. It's actually just a lack of character. They don't understand like we. Why? They're kids. They don't see the big picture. In fact, they don't even see part of the picture at all sometimes. But if we deal with a lack of character, when we have a lack of character, we're not going to accomplish what God has given us to accomplish in our child's heart. Much of our struggle as parents is rooted in the fact that God is still working with the zeal and transforming grace to mold new character into our hearts. Oh, that was my thing. Okay, sorry. I'll get done just a minute. That was your alarm. Tony, shut up. Yeah, I did. Thank you. Character problems are more than relational hassles or situational irritants. There's a deep moral issue that we can only find the answer to by the study of Scripture. Why are children, and I put and parents, impatient? Why are people unkind? Why are people demanding? Why do people complain so much? Why are there so many people fighting and angry in the world today? Hey, why do people desire to be first? Why do they think they have the right to be first? Why do people seek to be served rather than to serve? Let's turn in the Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. And uh, your assignment for today is I'd like for you to read the rest of Romans 1. And you can clearly see <clears throat> some of the different things when we talk about character issues. And we could really start all the way back but for the sake of time. <coughs> We're only going to read a couple of verses here. Romans 1, 25. Actually, i gotta, I got to start in 24. I just can't. It's hard to start in the middle of a sentence. It says, therefore, what is, when you say therefore in Scripture, what does that mean? What's it there for? You need to go back and read the rest of it, right? But we're going to keep going here. God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Verses 28 through 32. and I need glasses again. Oh, that's right. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The Bible connects character issues where? Worship. Interesting, when we look in verse 25 here. The heart of our child is always going to leave, our hearts are always going to live under the rule of someone or something. It's a war for control on a daily basis. We face it every day, so do our kids character issues exist not just because we want bad things but because we become enslaved to good things such as control such as being right such as being want to be accepted material possessions independence none of those are bad on their own but we become to a point where we put them in front and they have us instead of us utilizing them in our life and all of these things the heart is about what we worship notice in verse number 25 that before service comes worship. They, uh, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Before they ever got to serving, what did they do first? They worshiped. Why? God made man to be worshipers. We're going to worship something. That's just the bottom line. Everybody is worshiping something. We look at the world and we think, why are these people acting like that? They're worshiping something. And there's a desire of that. So we need to understand That before service always comes worship, either to God or something else. Fill in the blank. We're designed to worship. And you can see in our world today that every heart is worshiping. And that list that we just read, 28 to 32, it could be right out of the headlines today. All of those things. It's our God-given job, I'll say that again, as a parent, job, to unfold the deep mysteries of the universe to your children. To make connections that are not just insightful, but are also transforming. We cannot transform a heart, but God allows us to be part of showing and instructing our children on what they don't see and don't understand so that the Spirit of God can work on their hearts. Our children don't need so much character management as they need worship realignment. They have to understand, this thing that they're worshiping is not really about them. They think they're independent, but they're not. There's one side or the other. Foolishness and character. We need to drive out that heart of foolishness and replace it with godly character. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that, Lord, even though foolishness is bound up in our hearts, God, that you have done something that we could not do on our own. God, you've just done a work, God. When I think about how you created everything and how we got to where we're at right now, God, it's an amazing plan that only you could come up with, God. We couldn't even understand how you've done what you've done here, God. So I just pray as we talk about foolishness, how do do we understand, how do we see that and then see it for what what it really is, a heart condition. I pray, God, that we would understand, Lord, our role that you are asking us to play, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we get frustrated sometimes and as we get uh, sidetracked sometimes, God, we would come back and understand, Lord, that it's about that heart. It's a heart that needs to be transformed, a heart that needs to be renewed. And God, we should know it because we need that same thing. So help us, God, as we parent, as we lead, as we instruct others, God. I pray that it would go back to the heart so that it would be lasting change. Change because of what you've done, God. Change because the Spirit of God has come into a life and done something, God, that that we can't do on our own. So I just pray tonight as we discuss, as we talk through these things, I pray, God, that you would speak. And I pray, God, that you would help us to understand so that when we come to action tomorrow or even tonight as on our way home, I pray, God, it would, we would help to understand and seek after the heart and not just try to deal with that external uh, words and behaviors that we so often see. Again, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. Most of all, we thank you for Christ. We make our prayers in his name. Amen.